Now, Roger Goodell, the commissioner at the podium. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have traded the seventh pick to the Buffalo Bills. With the seventh pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Buffalo Bills select Josh Allen, quarterback, Wyoming. Tredavious White, defensive back, LSU. Jermaine Edmonds, linebacker, Virginia Tech. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. We have a busy edition of Locked On Bills for you today. It is Twitter Tuesday, and you guys filled up the takes and questions regarding the Bills. A uh, lot of different uh, DMs sent my way, a lot of tweets with the hashtag Twitter Tuesday. So thank you so much to everyone who sent over information and ideas for what you wanted to hear me talk about on today's podcast. As a reminder, please, if you think of stuff, if you think of a take or you have a question about the Bills or the NFL or anything that you want me to address in the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at the Joe Marino with the hashtag Twitter Tuesday, and I'll be sure to get to it on the show. And uh, with that out of the way, let's get right to it because we've got a lot to dig into. First of all, the Bills signed another player. I think it's their 15th undrafted free agent, or excuse me, unrestricted free agent that they've already added to the mix this offseason. This time, a familiar face, EJ Gaines, who was on the Browns last year, and everybody knows him from 2017, where he was a starter for the Bills and played quite well. The, the knock on Gaines has always been injuries and that. Continued last year, where he only played in 181 snaps for the Browns last season. Um, throughout his entire career, starting in 2014, there's just always been a lot of different injuries that have plagued him. But he, when he's been on the field, he's been very good. And you guys know from 2017, when the Bills had EJ Gaines in the lineup, the defense was substantially better than when he wasn't. And actually, that whole secondary was even better. I mean, Trey White was better as a rookie than he was in year two. So EJ Gaines is a player that the Bills are familiar with, that they've had success with. He comes uh, to Buffalo on a one-year, $3.6 million deal. I'll give you a stat here on EJ Gaines. According to Pro Football Focus, over the last two seasons, he has been targeted. His coverage has been targeted 79 times. He's given it 48 completions. That's a completion percentage of only 61%. For a total of 448 yards allowed, one touchdown, two interceptions, nine pass breakups, uh, quarterback rating of 70 allowed against his coverage. So very outstanding numbers. He's been in coverage across the last two seasons, uh, let's see here, 536 times. So 536 reps in coverage. He's only given up 48 completions on 79 targets for 448 yards. So uh, he's a good quarterback. If he can stay healthy, he can help the team. Now, this this is just speaks to this overall theme of adding competition to the roster that Brandon Bean has been so deliberate about doing this offseason, uh, adding rosterable players all over the roster. And cornerback has been no exception. Uh, Levi Wallace, the undrafted free agent who played so well down the stretch for Buffalo last year, figures to be the starter opposite Trey White, but He's going to have to beat out a good player in EJ Gaines, and he's going to have to beat out Kevin Johnson, who has some appeal as well. So you have to feel good about the depth at cornerback for the Bills. And um, 
it's interesting because yesterday on the show, I scared everyone. And I told you that the Bills have been really tinkering around with some cornerback prospects and guys that would make sense in terms of value at pick number 40. And you guys understood that I was just trying to be real about the information that I was giving you. And uh, we even worked through a mock draft where the Bills took a cornerback in the second round to see what that could look like. And you guys gave me a lot of feedback, like, hey, we, we understand that you're trying to present a scenario, but we don't want a cornerback at 40. I've, that's pretty loud and clear. And so I was taking taking it upon myself as my civic duty as the host of this podcast to prepare the Bills Mafia for that cornerback at number 40. And look, the players that they've been interested in, uh, Justin Lane, Amari Oruarie, Joan Williams, Rakia Sin, those are ideal targets for that pick number 40 range. And so I don't think that this completely eliminates the possibility, but it makes it less likely in my opinion because uh, they've got so many bodies now at the position. Now let's keep in mind EJ Gaines and Kevin Johnson, both guys with extensive injury histories. So relying on them to stay healthy has not been really uh, something that we've seen from either player across a a large sample size now. So uh, as we continue to think about what Brandon Bean's going to do. I don't think we can totally eliminate the possibility, although I do think this makes it less likely. And so as we get into the Twitter Tuesday takes and questions that have been sent in, the first one I want to address comes from Corey McLennan, who says, this EJ Gaines signing has to mean no cornerback in round two, right? 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 We don't need any more cornerbacks, hashtag Twitter Tuesday. Well, I think uh, everyone has always has heard very frequently that you can never have enough good cornerbacks, and uh, uh, you know we've already kind of talked about all the guys in the mix. You feel like the Bills are four deep with guys that you feel comfortable with playing outside of the boundary. Not to mention Teron Johnson, who profiles very well as a slot cornerback. Um, so I uh, kind of already addressed this to an extent. I, I don't think it's as likely as I felt on Monday. But I'm not ruling it out at 40. I'm not ruling it out at 73. Um, although, you know, it seems like if the Bills want to continue to add competition everywhere, you know, you start thinking about the defensive line. You start thinking about tight end where as much as the Bills have invested everywhere else on the roster this offseason, now they know that they did sign two tight ends and Jake Fisher as well as Tyler Croft. But that's still adding only Jason Kroom to that mix. It's a still, still a pretty light group. You feel like the the additional areas where they really haven't fully built a truly competitive situation is defensive line and tight end. And so I'm kind of back. I'm back to that being the ideas at number nine and number 40, the Bills' two premium selections in the coming draft. The next one comes from Andrew Lehman. He says, Joe, love the show. Please, for Lockdown Bills Twitter Tuesday, discuss the potential of the Bills trading up versus trading down from their number nine pick. If you see either of those choices as likely and why, go Bills. Thank you for uh, saying that you love the show. Appreciate that, Andrew. Um, So I I think one thing I've said a few times here is that we've seen the Bills uh, willing to trade up. As a matter of fact, both of those picks last year, Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds, those were trade up. So Brandon Bean identified targets, moved up, parted with draft capital to get those players. The Bills also traded up for Zay Jones. They traded up for Deion Dawkins. So it's not a foreign thing to the Bills over the last two drafts. They also traded back. Remember, Trey White from 10 to 27, they traded back in that situation. So uh, the Bills have proven to us that they are a very flexible team, and they will move up and down the board. 
So I do think it's not out of the question for them to move. As a matter of fact, the Bills, over the last two drafts, they've had three first-round picks, and never once did they pick at the spot they were originally slated to pick. So, Andrew, very likely, I would say, that the Bills are going to move up or down. Now, for me, I think the most important objective with the Bills' first-round pick is to get a game-changer, get a guy that's a dude, a player that is going to be part of the identity of the team, a guy that other teams have to play against, and they have to figure out how to stop that player. And I don't think the Bills, you know, as much as they built the roster depth, I still think you know there's some younger guys that we want to emerge and see become those, those real pillars of the roster, the stars, the superstars on the roster. But the Bills have to get another one of those guys with, pick, with their first-round pick. And if that means moving up, I'm okay with it. If they move back, they, they just have to make sure that they don't trade so far out of, the, out of a situation where they're not going to get a high-impact player. Now, I give them credit. They move from 10 to 27, and they still got a high-impact player in Trey White. So part, part of, of my approach to this is trust Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott to, to make the right decision because they've got high-impact players in the first round by moving up and down. Even though I probably would have told you the same thing two years ago when the Bills were sitting at pick number 10, I would say, go get a player. Go get an impact player. Don't trade so far back that you don't get an impact player. And they moved back 17 spots, got an impact player, and got an extra first-round pick. So what makes me think it's less likely that they trade way, way back is because of the roster situation. And I don't necessarily see a big need to continue to add that many pieces, rosterable pieces. I mean, the Bills have, are going to flip over like half the roster, it's, it seems like. So right now with, you know, I think it's 15 unrestricted free agents and 10 draft picks, that's 25 players. I, are they all going to make the team? And so that's why I think it might make sense to either trade up at times, maybe not at the first round, but, you know, when you start thinking about the Bills have two extra fours and two extra fives, depart with some of that to move up in the third round or maybe even the second round. But, I mean, if the Bills move up and there's some other things that we're going to get to uh, a court, along the way here with other takes that have been sent in, you know, you're, you're talking about potentially if you're moving up, you know, they're moving. I mean, they're already at nine, right? That's pretty high. So if you're moving up, you're talking about moving up into the top five potentially. Well, last year the Bills moved from 12 to seven, and that cost them two second-round picks, 53 and 56. So you just have to ask yourself, what are you willing to give up and who's worth it? So um, I just, it kind of goes back to my objective here, Andrew. I just get a high-impact player. Get a high-impact player, and obviously you don't want to sacrifice too much capital. Uh, you know, I, I definitely would make sure that you have your first and second and third-round picks next year. Uh, I wouldn't get too crazy. But, uh, you know, go, get, go make sure you get an impact player. That's the goal for the Bills at number, at number nine or whatever their first-round pick is. Uh, the next one comes from Air Force Bills fan. He says, Joe, for the Twitter Tuesday, I keep seeing Ed Oliver mock to the Bills. With his attitude issues, his senior season, is that really a guy Sean McDermott would like? Maybe the incident was overblown, but it got a lot of airtime. So uh, referring to Ed Oliver, the Houston defensive tackle, everybody's probably pretty familiar with him. Five-star recruit, tons of tackles for loss, a penetration-style player. That is exactly what the Bills need in a lot of ways uh, in terms of their defensive line, a guy that can really disrupt, get into the backfield, beat blocks, rush the passer, make tackles for loss, all that type of stuff, uh, really what the Bills need at that three-tech position. So I see why the Bills would 
be mocked and linked to him. And I see why the question would be raised, you know, is he a McDermott guy? Is he a process guy? And what the big thing that came out last year is, uh, you know, Oliver was dealing with this knee injury. And it was the fourth game in a row that he had missed. Uh, he was on the sideline. And uh, Major Applewhite, the head coach of Houston at the time, and Ed Oliver had a very heated exchange uh, during the game where uh, Major Applewhite was, you know, they were exchanging very spirited words, and Major Applewhite was pulling on the jacket because evidently there's a rule in place that uh, you're, if you're not if you're not playing in the game or participating in the game, you can't wear a jacket. And so this was actually Major White, uh, Major Applewhite. This is what he said after the game regarding this situation. This is a direct quote. He says, "We just have a rule on the sideline that guys that are participating in the games and specifically starters that they have jackets. You don't want a thousand guys in a jacket when it's only 50 degrees outside. You want guys to be tough. Some guys had them on early." And I asked them to take him off. Ed had one on, so I asked him to take it off because I didn't want it to be unfair. Well, I guess that Oliver had an exception with that. So, you know, on one hand, Oliver, Ed, play by the rules, man. If you're not supposed to wear the jacket, don't wear the jacket. Don't cause a distraction. On the other hand, that's a pretty stupid rule. That's a really stupid rule that means nothing. So I, I, see, I see some very frivolous behavior and ideas on both sides of this. Um, I think it's overblown. Like you said, there got a lot of airtime, but I don't put that much stock into it. At the end of the day, you know, it's something that I, I think doesn't really impact his draft stock. And I don't think it says all that much to me about Ed Oliver and, and what his character is like and what his attitude's like. I actually went to, uh, I covered Houston versus East Carolina this past year, and I was at the game and I got there really early. I was on the sideline and I, I, I really wanted to spend as much time near Ed Oliver as I could. And I spent, every second that I could, as close to him as I could. And I'm, I'm on the field with him, watching him do his pregame workouts and warm-ups and just how much energy he has and how focused he was and how into the situation. I mean, that I didn't question that at all. It, it looked like he loved being out there and was a leader and, and was first in every line that he could be in. And so I think that he, you know, from what I can observe, I think he's fine. I think that that situation was really ridiculous. I think the rule's ridiculous. I think Ed Oliver could have handled that differently. But I don't know that I can draw enough from that situation to say, hey, this is not a Sean McDermott guy. If you wanted to give me a reason to believe the Bills won't take Ed Oliver, it's because he's not a prototype. He's under 290 pounds. He's under 32-inch arms. And I think that the Bills are going to value size and length, although he's very explosive. And so that does change the dynamics a little bit. Maybe you make some exceptions. But by and large, I believe that the Bills like prototypes, and that Oliver isn't a prototype. So I think that, more than anything with the jacket or perceived attitude issues, I think are the bigger reasons why I think the Bills may not actually go after Ed Oliver. All right, so the next one comes from Ryan Thomas. Uh, Ryan says, lack of linebacker talent has been made clear in this draft. With that being said, it's still an area of need for the Bills with little quality depth behind Zoe in his last season, Milano and Edmonds, both who had injuries last year, who are some day three prospects for the Bills to target. Hashtag Twitter Tuesday. Now, this was sent in before the Bills signed Maurice Alexander. So that improved the depth quite a bit. Um, but uh, I don't eliminate linebacker as a possibility. So um, I, I like some of the linebackers like Devin Bush, Devin White. Those are obvious first-round guys. Day two guys, Mac Wilson from Alabama, Blake Cashman from Minnesota, uh, are probably Jermaine Pratt from North Carolina State are probably all, all off the board. 
Uh, when I start thinking about day three and guys that the Bills could invest in and get get some depth and obviously get you some special teams upside, I, I think a lot about Drew Tranquil from Notre Dame. He's had some injuries, but uh, I think in terms of him being a fit, a type of person the Bills like, a very high-character guy, um, a very accomplished person, uh, you like his range. Whenever And he's healthy. He can really make plays. So I think he'd be a wonderful day three target. Ben Burke-Irvin from Washington, a very high-energy player, a guy that um, has some size and, and functional strength restrictions, but you like his ability on sub-packages. Maybe there's some parallels to what you kind of get from Matt Milano in a lesser degree, but maybe what you thought of Matt Milano entering the league. And, they, and obviously Matt's really evolved to become a really solid linebacker. But Ben, ben Burke-Irvin's a guy I kind of think about in a similar mold coming out who's interesting to me. David Long from West Virginia is a very instinctive guy, athletic guy. Uh, he's a little bit shorter, but you know we're talking day three guys, so there's going to be some things that you don't necessarily like about all of them. But I think he's a he's a backer with good uh, range and processing skills that I like. So uh, I don't love the depth of this year's class at linebacker, but those are some of the guys on day three. Even Gary Johnson from Texas I like quite a bit in terms of a, of a later day three guy. Gives you some range, gives you some special teams ability. Um, so there's some names for you to think about, uh, but I don't, I don't get, I don't get too excited <laughs> about this year's linebackers outside of uh, Devin Bush, Devin White, and then a couple of those day two guys. All right, the next one comes from M. This is the whole name M Dollar Sign. It's at MT Scott O two. Uh, he says, uh, Joe, who would you take at number nine between Brian Burns, Ed Oliver, or Christian Wilkins? Do you think Burns is just too small for what the Bills like? For me. So if this is me exclusively, the, the highest rated player on my board in that situation is Brian Burns. I think Brian Burns is the best pass rusher in the class. I'll say it again. Brian Burns is the best pass rusher in the class. He's not the best prospect. Not, I think that Nick Bosa and Quinnen Williams, maybe even Jawan Taylor and DK Metcalf are better prospects in my view. But Brian Burns, pass rush only, is the best one. He's got length. He's got burst. He's got bend, and he's got all kinds of variety in how he wins. He's got great vision. What I mean by great vision is he knows how to read the set of an offensive tackle and how to attack it. So if they overset to go inside, if they if they short set, how to attack that and get depth with his steps. I mean, very, very technically refined, nuanced pass rusher with length, flexibility, and burst. The guy's going to be a friggin' stud. Now, yeah, you, you got a point there. I do worry about him being a little bit lean for the Bills. Now, we checked in at 249 at the Combine, and he's incredibly athletic for 249 pounds. But will the Bills take a 249-pound edge rusher? They should. In my opinion, they should. Brian Burns is on the board at number nine. It's a very, very easy, quick decision for me. But is the Bills going to do it? Are they going to invest in him? Are they going to be able to live with him being 249? If you look at the defensive ends that Sean McDermott had at Carolina – None of them are 249. You're talking about Mario Addison and uh, Julius Peppers and Charles Johnson. Those guys are big, long, physical strength players, technicians, not necessarily a speedier, bendier guy. So, yeah, I think there's a there's a discrepancy between what we've seen the Bills typically, or excuse me, Sean McDermott typically have at defensive end and what Brian Burns is. So um, that's who I would take. That's a good question. That's who I would take in that situation. Uh, Jeremy Baum, he says, you mentioned the lack of pass rushers after this season, but also mentioned that the Bills are armed with ample cap room. Can you possibly break down some of the likely 2020 free agents that the Bills could look at, specifically pass rushers? Much appreciated, go Bills. 
Yes, absolutely. So if you look at the at the at the edge rushers slated to become free agents next year. Now, keep in mind these guys are slated to become free agents. Almost always the top guys get the franchise tag slapped on them and they never really become free agents. But uh, with that said, uh, the five big names that pass rusher next year. Now, some of these guys were free agents this year. They got franchise tags, so they're right back on the market. First of all, Demarcus Lawrence from the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I don't know that Dallas is going to let him get out of town, but uh, if he if they do, <laughs> that would be a very easy decision to snatch him up. Uh, he's one of the elite 4-3 defensive ends in, in football right now. Frank Clark. From Seattle, a uh, player that you know Dan Morgan, the Bills uh, player personnel director, is very familiar with. Uh, he got the franchise tag, and he's a very dynamic edge rusher. Yannick Ngakwe from the Jacksonville Jaguars, who there's a possibility there. Jacksonville doesn't have much much cap space, but he's a very talented pass rusher. I'm not sure they'd let him get out the building, but if they do, that'd be a good one to target. Jadeveon Clowney from the Houston Texans, free agent this year, got the franchise slag, uh, tag slapped on him. Um He's a possibility, and then Vic Beasley from the Atlanta Falcons. I'm not super high on, Be- on Beasley, but he's a uh, he's had good seasons before, um, and uh, he's he's available. So right now, that's kind of the cream of the crop edge rushers that could be available. Keeping in mind, they rarely hit the market. So uh, those are the big names as it, as it stands right now. Next one here comes from Die Summers. Uh, says, "Do you see similarities between the Bills and Bears rebuild? With that in mind, can you see the Bills following in the Bears?" and using the trade market to find their pass rusher. Uh, yes, I made this point during the season last year that the Bills are very similar to the Bears because everybody complained about Mitch Trubisky's rookie season and how he didn't have any help. Bad offensive line, bad receivers. And in one offseason, they went out and they got Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Trey Burton, Anthony Miller, James Daniels, and all of a sudden that, that offense was, was pretty good. And obviously they won that vision. I think they were 12-4 and four last year. The Bears were really good. And so you, I, I, I really do believe that the Bills, in a lot of ways, have replicated some of those moves. Uh, huge investments on the offensive line and wide receiver, as you guys know. Running back and tight end. And um, also it's, it's interesting because everybody, you know, going into, before all that happened, everyone was like, oh, the Bears got to get an offensive player in the first round to help. Mitch Trubisky, just like the Bills, right? The Bills got to get an offensive player to help Josh Allen. Well, guess what? The Bears went and drafted middle linebacker Roquan Smith in the top 10 last year. And I think we kind of have a similar situation here where the Bills are going into the draft. They made some moves in free agency to improve the offense, and I expect them to go defense with their first-round pick or maybe tight end, which still would come as somewhat of a surprise to me. Um, So could the Bills then use – Trade to get a pass rusher. Uh, I mean, is Killil Mack going to be available I, or a similar player? Like that's what's that's what's hard, right? Like Killil Mack should have never been available by a trade. So if a player of that caliber is available and, and the Bills could, you know, part with resources to go get him, an impact guy like that, yeah, I do it. But who's who's that guy? I mean, the the Browns aren't trading Miles Garrett. Is Bosa the the Chargers going to trade Bosa? I mean, I just don't know if that caliber player is going to be available. So I'd be interested in the trade market for sure, but I think that was kind of a unique situation where Mac was available. So there's that. All right, next one comes from the uh, it's California Buffalo. 
He says, do we have to use our ninth pick overall to replace Kyle Williams? Can his impact be replaced by a later pick in the draft? I'll say something that might not be popular here, but Kyle Williams over the last two seasons has not been a very high-impact player on the field. He's been a good player, but his value to the team was as a leader, a guy that was connecting Coach McDermott's message to the locker room, setting a standard every single day, holding people accountable, and playing pretty good football. But he's not the player he was five, six, seven years ago. Really high-impact, dynamic guy with good get-off that was really going to put a lot of stress on interior offensive linemen to block him. I mean, Kyle Williams, he, age caught up with him a little bit there the last two seasons, particularly last season. So I think that his impact as a player uh, on the field is not what, you, what I'm super concerned with replacing. Now, when I talk about using the ninth pick in the draft on a defensive player, on a defensive lineman, I'm not necessarily thinking they have to replicate something that they lost in Kyle Williams. I just don't think the Bills have enough guys on their defensive line that can beat blocks and make plays 1v1. Who, 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 besides Jerry Hughes, who are the guys that constantly get into the backfield and make plays? That's it. And Jerry Hughes gets back there, and it's wasted because nobody else is, is complimenting his, his penetration. So Jerry Hughes gets pressure, quarterback steps up. There's nobody there in his face. Qu- quarterback rolls out the other side. There's no there's no complimentary rush on the other side. So you're you're you already don't have enough good dynamic penetration style players, but you're wasting the one good one that you have. I think that's so important. I think that's for me. It's not hey the Bills got to replace Kyle Williams. It's you got to get some dudes up front that can make plays and beat blocks. And so that's where my my thought process comes. I do like the depth of the defensive tackle class. And so can you wait until the second or third round and get a defensive tackle that I think can help you? Yes, I do. But on the edge, no. You better get edge rushers high. That's why I think the Bills are very much in play for a guy like Montez Sweat or maybe even a guy like you know Josh Allen were to slide a little bit. You know, I think that that's really where the Bills can get value and get, you know, a premium position to help this roster. I just don't think they have enough dudes up front on the defensive line. All right, this next one comes from Usain Boris. Uh, he says, what do you think of the fit for Hakeem Butler, the Iowa State wide receiver with the Bills? Could he be the tall power wide receiver we don't have? Seems to have enough speed uh, to not just be a 50-50 jump ball specialist. Uh, Usain, yeah, listen, Hakeem Butler, if you just – I mean, he's a big guy, but he's not just a 50-50 jump ball guy. He's a good route runner, um, and he's actually pretty effective post-catch. So – um, he's not just a power forward that's just going to have to get go get jump balls. He's he's athletic, he can separate, and he's big. So with that said, does he get to 40? I'm not sure. If he gets to 40, I think he's definitely in play. I don't know if I'd take him at 9. I think that's a little bit too high. My concern with Butler is he's got a lot of variance at the catch point. He, he drops his share of passes. And it's funny because, like, it's concentrations type stuff, and it, it, he makes some crazy ridiculous catches, but – then there's other times where he just doesn't he, he loses sight of the ball and he drops it. So, you know, that's kind of the big trade-off with him. He does, you know, he's a bigger guy, so you, you get a little bit nervous about him being a guy that can run a full route tree, but I mean, he moves so well. He's so fluid for his size. I really like him. So, yeah, I think he would give the Bills a skill set that doesn't currently exist within the receivers and give them some young you know, more young, exciting talent to go with, you know, Robert Foster, who's really been a flashy player that we, we liked last year, and Zay Jones, who got better from year one to year two. Uh, this one comes from Tony Barton. If Robert Quinn is traded to the Saints, 
Uh, does that increase the likelihood that Ziggy takes the Bills' offer? What do you think the right price is for Ziggy at this point? Well, I don't know if the Bills have an offer for Ziggy Ansa. We learned this past week from uh, Ian Rappaport that pretty much everyone's waiting on that four-month checkup in April to feel good about uh, where Ziggy Ansa is at with his medicals because he had that shoulder uh, surgery in December. So that, that checkpoint's going to be really important in determining where Ziggy Ansa ends up. I do think that he could help the Bills in terms of uh, providing them an, another guy that can beat blocks, kind of what I just talked about on the defensive line, give them a veteran. Um, so I, before that signing, you know, I had to think his deal would be somewhat similar to what the what Justin Houston just got from from the uh, from the Colts. Two year deal, twenty million. Two years, twenty five, something like that. You know, I don't think you're gonna really, you know, you're not gonna back up the uh, the 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 truck and give him whatever he wants. But uh, I think that he would be worthwhile uh, addition as long as you're comfortable with those medicals. Um, yeah, the Sa- I mean, the Saints didn't have much cap space to begin with, and uh, if they trade for Robert Quinn and add his salary, and they've already signed Malcolm Brown and, and uh, Jared Cook. You know, they've made some moves here. They signed um, another player whose name is escaping me right now. Uh, the center, Nick Easton. Yeah, they've, I mean, they've, they've kind of ate, ate away at their own cap space. So I don't know if they're going to have an opportunity. If the Bills want Ziggy Ansah and the Saints are the other team that's bidding against them, the Bills can get him unless they he just wants to go there for less money because he thinks the Saints are a contender and the Bills aren't. Next one comes from Justin Hawks. He says, uh, Joe, of all the offensive free agent pickups, Morse, Mitch Morse is the only long-term pickup. McDermott needs to be told that it's not the 90s, where you win with D and running the football and winning 17 to 14 every week. It's a passing league. We need young playmakers. That's, I mean, I, I don't know that I agree that the Bills aren't gearing up for the passing game. They, they made, they signed two receivers to pretty decent deals in Cole Beasley and John Brown and, and went out and got guys that could protect Josh Allen and they still have 10 draft picks. And, you know, there's two young receivers in Zay Jones and Robert Foster. So I think that the Bills are trying to be more dynamic in the passing game. So I think that the Bills, I think every football team, even the most dynamic teams, want to be able to play good defense and run the football. But I don't think that the Bills are ignoring that, especially given the investments that they've just recently made in their wide receivers, as well as their offensive line, to improve the pass protection so that the Bills can use their wide receivers more effectively. So I think that the Bills will continue to add some playmakers here in the draft, especially at tight end. But I, I don't know that I don't know that McDermott. I mean, like to me, this this statement kind of makes me believe that you're like thinking Sean McDermott's like a Doug Marone type thinker and you know power football ground and pound. Like nah, dude. Like that's not that's not Sean at all. And so uh, uh, I think that it's he's been restricted by some of the you know dead cap and the and the roster. But uh, you know just being undermanned and having young players and maybe not having the most skilled players. But I think that. The Bills are well aware of that. It's a passing league, and I think that the investments they've made this offseason and the ones that we'll continue to see will speak to them wanting to be more dynamic on offense. Uh, Aaron Aaron Wagner says, uh, Bills with pretty good defensive tackles available in free agency every year, such as Sheldon Richardson, and below average tight ends available. Does it make sense to get an Iowa tight end in the draft? Harder to get a stud at tight end, plus fills two needs with blocking and receiving. So here's the thing with tight ends, and I think Brandon Bean's comments today at the league meetings uh, led me to believe it's more likely that a tight end could be used in the first round, and I I certainly know the value of of having a really dynamic tight end for your quarterback 
And I'm not, I'm not against that in any way, shape, or form. If you take a tight end in the first round, they better be a star. And if you look at the tight ends drafted in the first round since 2009, so in the last 10 NFL drafts, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 8 have been drafted in the first round. Let me give you these names. 2008, excuse me, 2009, Brandon Pettigrew from the Lions. 2010, Jermaine Gresham by the Bengals. 2013, Tyler Eifert by the Bengals. 2014, Eric Ebron, Lions. 2017, David Njoku, Browns. 2017, Evan Ingram, Giants. 2017, O.J. Howard, Buccaneers. 2018, Hayden Hurst, Ravens. So it's a pretty small number overall. And then you've seen guys like Travis Kelsey get drafted on day two. Robert Garkowski is a day two pick. Uh, and, you know, Zach Ertz, not a first-round pick. You know, I, I just feel like there's been star tight ends in the league that were acquired not with the first and not in the first round. Now, if I think that TJ Hawkinson's going to be a star. I think that Noah Fant's going to be a star. Um, how quickly can they be stars? Well, um, none of those guys I just named really were immediate stars. Um, so I just feel like there's there's a waiting game, and maybe you bought yourself some time with Tyler Croft that can fill in and, and give you some value this year. Um, but, you know, how quickly can this tight end really step in and, and, and help the Bills? I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. I think it's more likely after listening to Brandon Bean on Monday afternoon than, than beforehand. Uh, but you better get a, a really high-impact tight end if you take one in the first round. And then just kind of being mindful that they do fall. Tight ends typically do slide a little bit further in the draft. So um, even, you know, look, I mean, uh, O.J. Howard is about as good a tight end prospect we've seen come out in a long, long time, he went 19 overall. So there's that. There's that whole thing. Tight end situation is going to be interesting. I, I expect the Bills to use one of their first three picks on one. Um, and uh, if it's nine, that'd be really interesting. Maybe if you trade back and get them. But at the same time, if you really believe in that tight end being that game changer, then, then sit there and take them. All right, the next one comes from Ryan Thomas. It says, if Murray goes number one overall, there's a chance a guy like Quinn and Williams slides to the Bucks at number five. With the points you made about the Bills not likely rostering 10 draft picks, do you see a scenario where Bean trades up once again to go get his guy? Yeah, I do. Um, Quinn and Williams, I think, is one of the best one or two players in this draft. You can convince me Nick Bose is the best player in the draft. You can convince me that Quinn and Williams is the best player in the draft. Uh, and so the Bills – Moving up, I'm not against that. So think about what that's going to take. So if, the, if you're talking about moving to not from to number five from number nine, what did the, the Jets went from six to three, and uh, with the Colts, what they gave up like three second round picks for that. So I mean, the Bills to go from nine to five, you're you're giving up forty. You're probably giving up your third round pick this year, and maybe your third round pick next year, maybe your second round next year. So I mean, you have to ask yourself. Are the Bills better with Quinn and Williams and none of those three three additional picks they're going to have to give up? Or are they better with Christian Wilkins plus whatever players they would get there? So part of me is, is you know, not a big fan of trading up, all you know, unless it's a quarterback. But, you know, I think Quinn and Williams might be a, a, you know, one of the top players in this year's class at a premium position that the Bills have a hole at, in my opinion. So I'm not going to be upset if the Bills come away with Quinn and Williams. You just have to weigh yourself. You know, look, I mean, you're giving up a lot. And I, I know I've, I've talked about the roster ability of 10 draft picks, but kind of my thought process wasn't necessarily to give up the second and third round picks. It's to give up the fourths and the fifths and the, that type of stuff to move up in the second and third round. So uh, that's that's kind of where I, my mind's at with giving up capital. Uh, and I'm also not afraid to 
uh, trade completely out of situations. So if you trade one of those fourth round picks this year for a third round next year, I'm into that kind of stuff. Like I'm, I'm open to that too. So, you know, how is that draft capital going to help you build the team? So maybe that's by banking it for future years. I think there's a lot of flexibility and that's a good thing about having 10 draft picks, not necessarily being able to roster them all and having a a situation where you've done such a good job in free agency that you can really focus on using that flexibility to your advantage. All right, we got a few more to get to here. The next one comes from Phil Money. He says, do you think EJ Gaines can play big dividends this year, especially if they draft a cornerback in the second or third round depth on the uh, depth on depth for the secondary? Yes. I think, you know, look, look at the last two years for the Bills opposite of Trey White. It's been a revolving door. How many different guys have played as a starter opposite Trey White? Last year, I mean, Vontae Davis, Ryan Davis, or Ryan Lewis, excuse me, Levi Wallace, uh, Philip Gaines. That's four different guys that started last year. Year before that, Sharice Wright starting games. You know, I mean, because EJ Gaines wasn't healthy. I mean, there's probably been, what, like seven or eight different guys? that the Bills have had to rely upon to start opposite of Trey White. So, yeah, like, get that depth in the secondary. Don't have situations where the guy opposite Trey is going to get picked on and, and targeted because you don't have viable options. And so I love that the Bills have at, continued to add depth to the secondary, somewhere that every team, every general manager is going to tell you you can't have enough good cornerbacks. All right, let's move on to Dan Kadar's clock. He says, Joe, please help me believe – in a world where the Bills trade up using a third to get Quinn in. Brother, a third? Where are they trading up? A third's going to – got to move up one spot. I mean, it's going to be more than a third. If the Bills move – if it's 9-5, to five, you're talking 40-73 and you're two next year. That would be my guess. That would be my guess as to what it takes. If you give up a third to go get Quinn in, then, like, go do that every single time. I just don't think that – the Bills are going to be a situation where the only thing they have to part with is a third-round pick to get Quinn and Williams. Uh, three more here. Dr. U, E-W, uh, at Plugs44 says, Do you like any Syracuse players in the draft? Any chance the Bills draft a player from Syracuse? I think the most likely uh, guy to get drafted from Syracuse this year is, is Chris Slayton, the defensive tackle, who's a powerful guy that gives you some mobility, some penetration-style skills. I think he's a day-three guy. Uh, Ravian Pierce, their tight end. I thought he was going to break out this year. He didn't. Um, just I thought there was going to be more market share for him. He had some injuries this year, uh, didn't get to go to the combine or anything like that. Uh, Eric Dungy, I mean, if he wants to embrace a Taysom Hill role at the next level, that'd be interesting. But the problem with Eric Dungy is always hurt. Um, so there's that. Jamal Custis, uh, he's a bigger uh, possession-type receiver with very min- minimal juice. Uh, if you want a catch point guy, he's going to have to play special teams. He's kind of kind of a guy that I don't really see as a draftable guy. So to me, if there's a Syracuse player that makes the most sense for the Bills that actually is worth getting drafted, it's Chris Slate in the defensive tackle. Uh, FPL, at former FPL champ, says, at what point do we start looking at uh, looking internally for extensions? Jared, uh, Jordan Poyer has outplayed his, outplayed his contract and deserves a raise. Uh, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. Jordan Poyer signed a four-year, $13 million deal. He's entering year three of that. Uh, I mean, I, if he held out, I, I wouldn't blame him. I mean, he's probably a guy that deserves 10 mil a season, and he's not getting a third of that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would. I mean, you reward him with the deal. He's, he's earned that. Um, and, I, you know, I'd I, I bulk him up. I would, especially while you have cap space this year and next year. Um, 
you know, I, I, looking at the rest of the roster, you're somewhat limited because you can't negotiate with rookies yet. So the Trey Whites can't even – Trey White's not even eligible for extension. Josh Allen, Tremaine Evans, none of those guys are even at that at that point. I mean, Jerry Hughes is a guy whose contract um, is up after the season. He's aging. Um, and so, you know, what is he going to command? And, uh, I mean, if you could front-load a deal, I think that would make sense. Um, but uh, Brandon Bean also mentioned that he might uh, consider – negotiating that deal after the draft so oh you know maintaining that flexibility but yeah right now there's not a lot of guys that are really eligible for extensions you can't you can't extend milano yet um so <laughs> can't extend dawkins yet there's not i mean jordan poyer jerry hughes are the two guys that stand out i don't think i'd be interested in extending LaShawn mccoy so i just they're limited right now jerry hughes and, and jordan poyer are the two guys so Bills are in really good good shape, but yes, I, I do agree. Next year, yeah, let's get extensions done for sure. Keep your own guys. Last one comes from Jeffrey Darrow. He says, do you see Irv Smith going in the first round uh, to New England now? Obviously referring to the Gronk retirement. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that's a surefire thing. Um, that you know, Look, I think Irv is probably the third tight end in this year's draft, and so you know, three first-round tight ends would be a lot. That would be a real lot. That's uh, – that happened in 2017 and 20, 2002. So, and since 2000, it's only happened twice. Possibility. Um, obviously, Irv he made that tweet the other day that with, with the googly eyes about you know with him being pictured with with uh, Nick Saban and and Bill Belichick. So there's, I mean, look, Irv Smith would be a good pickup for for the Patriots. They need him. He he fit you know be able to give them a multifaceted tight end. Um, so I don't think it's unlikely. I just I mean, if Irv Smith goes to the Patriots in the first round, that would mean we have three first-round tight ends. So um, I don't think it's crazy. So do I see it happening potentially? Um, but I, I don't know if I'd go out on a limb and say that I agree that there will be three first-round tight ends. We went a little long today. I hope you enjoyed that. But you guys gave me so many outstanding uh, takes and questions to get into. I really, really appreciate that. Make sure you fill me up again next week for uh, Twitter Tuesday. Uh, next week's edition, you can tweet me at, at any time uh, at the Joe Marino hashtag Twitter Tuesday. Send them over, and then I, I try my best to to take them all and, and bank them, and so that way I get to them all. Uh, I don't ever mean to miss any, so um, my apologies if I did. We've got Water Cooler Wednesday lined up for you. Uh, got a great guest, very excited about that. So make sure you don't miss it. Hit that subscribe button. Leave me that five star review. Leave some kind words in the review section as well. Tell a friend about the podcast, retweet it, all that stuff. I always really, really appreciate it. And uh, until tomorrow, thanks so much for listening to Lockdown Bills.